This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we look at the story of the feeding of the 4,000 and watch the disciples struggle to apply its meaning. Yes. So, let's see here. A few podcasts ago, a few episodes ago, I maybe challenged some of our listeners, probably not all, but some of our listeners, I challenged them with this idea that the feeding of the 5,000 was all about this numerology. And then in the last episode... I challenge us by suggesting that Jesus had to, like, learn things. So we've had a couple tough, maybe like the disciples said to Jesus in the Gospel of John, like, this is a hard teaching, Rabbi. I might have some listeners going, all right, I'm struggling here. So let's see if we can wrap up some of these ideas and maybe sell us on the fact that Jesus is really doing this thing about numerology. So our passage today starts, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. So maybe... I don't know okay. if you want to like recap the last couple of stories, give us a little bit of context about where Jesus is, what he's been doing. Well, how about you tell me what the last story was in the text, Brent? What do we have before that? So we had the, the woman in uh, Tyre and Sidon. Okay. Or in the region, I guess. That's right. Okay. So that's a really good question to actually ask because he's coming back from Phoenicia. He's coming back from that region of Tyre and Sidon and he's coming and he goes on his way back. It says he, how does it word it? He walks along the Sea of Galilee. So at the beginning of the 4,000 says, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Went along the Sea of Galilee. So if you, maybe you can link a map, Brent, of the Sea of Galilee region, maybe one we've even used in the past. Tyre Sidon, you're going to have to actually get a little north to find that. So you might have to find a new map. Um, but find a map that has Tyre and Sidon. And then if you, if you point that out, you can actually look at, if he's going to walk, he's coming back from that far northwestern region. And he's coming down along the Sea of Galilee. And from the gospel accounts, we know that he's headed into the region of the Decapolis. We've talked about the Decapolis before. And the one time that we've been here, we've said there was one story where Jesus was here. This is only the second time he's going to show up here. Uh, this is going to be the, the the first story was the story of, which story, Brent? Uh, the demon-possessed man. Yeah, the pigs, right? The demoniac and the pigs. So that was the first time. And this is the second time that Jesus has come back here. And I'm suggesting it's because, why has he come back here from Phoenicia? I think he just learned a lesson in Phoenicia, and he's thinking to himself, oh my goodness, I have to teach this to my to my disciples. I got to go back to the Decapolis, because if this is our mission, if this is my mission, oh man, we got a bunch of stuff to learn. And so from there, he had straightened the Decapolis. And this time we're told, as we pointed out with that podcast with the Demoniac, this time when we come, we got 4,000 people coming out to greet him. When before, we just had one demoniac and a bunch of people asking him to get the heck out of here. Jesus, could you leave the region? Now he comes back and 4,000 people. That's a big deal. That's a relatively you know, large group. How about you read us that portion of our passage today and we'll, uh, we'll dive in. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then, What's our address? Oh, this is uh, Matthew 15, starting in verse 29. Okay, great. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. 
He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. All right, so the first time we had a feeding of 5,000, now we have a feeding of 4,000. Now, a few podcasts ago, I suggested that all the numbers in the feeding of the 5,000 mattered. So maybe we should do just a quick review here, Brent, of numbers, right? So we had one represents God. God, two. Books or the tablets of Tablets the law. of Moses. Okay, excellent. Three. Community. Community, which is, uh, we, you can go back and listen to that if you need to. And then four. Uh, four corners of the earth or the Gentiles. Okay. Gentiles from the four corners of the compass, right? Okay. And then five. Uh, books of Moses. Okay, excellent. Six. Uh, sinful man. Okay. Seven. Completion. Completion. And not perfection. Completion. You said it correctly. Uh, eight is kind of tricky. We don't really throw that in there typically, but it's like a new creation. Later Judaism will connect it to infinity. Uh, we won't worry about that for now. Um, let's see here. Nine, we didn't have ten. Ten is like a community plus completion, complete community. Okay, because it's what number plus what number? Three and seven. Three and seven, the number of community and the number of completion, putting it together, complete community. Uh, Twelve. Tribes of Israel. Tribes of Israel. So that's like symbolic of all of God's people, uh, God's chosen people, you could say. Um, What about uh, 50? What story do we think of when we think of 50? 50, the Jubilee. Uh, well, you, that's a good that's a good guess. I kind of threw you a curveball here. By the way, f- we skipped 40. What was 40? 40 would be like a testing or trial. A time of testing, 40 days that it rains in the flood, 40 years in the desert, 40 years of Jesus in the wilderness, 40 always connected to this. 40 days testing. in the wilderness for Jesus. 40 days for Jesus, absolutely. 40 years for God's people, 40 days for Jesus. Um, let's see here. Um, 50. What number do you think of? We talked about it in the 5,000 podcast just briefly. I didn't do a very good job of drawing it out. That's why I'm drawing it out now. Boy, I don't know. 50. We, we see 50 right at Mount Sinai when Moses gets there and Jethro comes out. And Jethro's like, Moses, what are you doing? You're trying to be the judge for like all these people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And so what Moses does at Sinai is he breaks the people up into groups of 50s and 100s. And he, he makes them like little groups of people that can kind of rule themselves in the tough cases he ends up taking. I believe that's in Exodus uh, 19, 18, 19, 18, 19, somewhere in there. Yeah, just just read all of Exodus. Yeah, just read Exodus. You'll get to it eventually. Um, so, so that's where you think of when you think of the number 50. So all these numbers make a difference. So knowing the numbers that we just went over, I suggested that in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus takes the law, which is five loaves, which we think of the five books of Moses. He takes the two fish, which would be the two tablets, which means that Jesus is taking the complete law, Five plus two equals what, Brent? Completion. Seven. And he gives it to his disciples. So Jesus takes the complete law, books and tablets. He gives it to his disciples. His disciples feed the people of God, which was how many people? Uh, 5,000. 5,000. 1,000 being complete community times three. Right. All right. We're compounded by three. And then five being the? The books of Moses. So this is the complete community of the books of Moses people, which would be the Jews. Okay. And then the people take and they consume this law. They eat the law that they received from the disciples as they received it from Jesus. And there's even more than enough for all of God's people because they had how many basketfuls picked up? Twelve. Twelve. So I suggested that Jesus's larger teaching point in the feeding of the 5,000 was that I am the second Moses. Remember Jesus putting the people in groups of 50? They would have thought about that story of Moses and Jethro. 
Moses gives them the law at Sinai. This all fits the same story in the text. It's like a gigantic remes. And when you let, I think Jesus is getting at, when you let me interpret the law and completely trust me with it, there is more than enough to go around for all of God's people. But now we need to take those same principles and apply them to the feeding of the, how many people? 4,000. 4,000. And where are we at geographically, we just said? In the Decapolis. Decapolis. So we're not with the people of the five books of. This isn't 5,000, it's 4,000. You said four was the number of? The Gentiles. The Gentiles. Four corners of the compass, the four corners of the earth. So, of course, this is a Gentile group of people, 4,000 people. So we consider that context. Jesus has now returned for the second and final time, as we're told, to the region of the Decapolis. Maybe he went there more. But as far as what's in the text... This is the only the second and the final time he'll be in the Decapolis. This time, he feeds a crowd of 4,000 compared to 5,000. If the number five was a Jewish number and the number four is a Gentile number, we have to realize that we're now in the Decapolis. We don't have a community of the books of Moses people. We have a community of pagan Gentiles. Hence, the number is four. Not only this, but we aren't told how many fish there were because apparently the Holy Spirit couldn't remember that day, which is a joke. Because the Holy Spirit could obviously remember anything. Should I insert a laugh track? Oh, oh that'd be great. <laughs> we don't want to get that that started. We don't want to set that precedent. Oh, boy. Uh, Not I, with Marty. I, I won't do that. I, won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I got my own laugh track. So, um, so, so the Holy Spirit doesn't include the details of how many loaves we've got. Like, it's very specific in the feeding of the 5,000. I got five loaves. I've got two fish. I got the books of Moses. I got the tablets of Moses. But if I'm working with the Gentiles, Brent, do they have the books of Moses? Nope. Do they have the tablets of Moses even? Nope. No, they don't have any of those things. So what do we got to work with? The Holy Spirit's like, well, we got some loaves. How many loaves? How many fish? Seven loaves. Seven loaves. How many fish? Mm, some. Just, just some fish. It doesn't matter. And seven, we said, was a number for completion, but it also had, did it have a Gentile twist to it? Uh, yeah, well, it was the seven pagan nations. Exactly, from Joshua 3.10. If you want to count the nations, go to Joshua 3.10, and you can count how many nations are listed in that that story of the conquest there. So there's seven. Seven ends up being a Gentile number as well as completion. So there's seven loaves. But we don't remember how many fish. I find it interesting that in the first story that takes place in the Jewish setting, the feeding is all about Jewish numbers. Five loaves, two fish, 12 baskets, uh, 5,000 people. In the story which takes place in Decapolis, the numbers change to only Gentile numbers, four and seven. Jesus is tricky. The point seems to be, after his starting revelation with the woman in Syrophoenicia, remember I just suggested in the last episode, he went to Syrophoenicia and went, oh my goodness, it's not just the books of Moses people I'm supposed to be working with. So now he comes down, he goes right along the Sea of Galilee, he goes back to Decapolis, and now he wants to tell his disciples this lesson. Not only am I enough for the Jewish people, I am also enough for the Gentile nations. And if you're like, oh, man, you're just doubling down on this whole numbers thing. Yes, but consider the story that follows next in the narrative of Matthew. Go ahead and read the next. So now we're in Matthew 16, I believe, correct? Uh, yes, but I just have to point out one thing before we move on. Okay. The disciples in both stories have the same crisis. They say, we're in a remote place. Yes. Where are we going to get enough food? And, and the Decapolis is even like... I think a lot of us read that and we're like, oh my goodness, I just made the same mistake a second time. The problem is they're in the Decapolis. They now have a food problem because they can't go get food in the pagan. They can't go into a pagan city. That's all unclean. They can't eat there. They can't get food from there. They have a food problem this time. So I think their their, their problems compounded now. It was like, okay, well, there's one thing we were in the triangle, Jesus. 
But now what are we going to do? Right? Okay. Go ahead and pick up and read the next section for us. All right. Matthew 16. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Okay, so Jesus' point here is, boy, you guys are, you're not working very hard here. Like I'm a rabbi trying to teach you things and you know how to do basic life stuff, like, like discern the weather patterns. Like work with me here, Jesus is saying, like do some heavy lifting in the whole rabbinical thing. Go ahead. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. Okay, so so Jesus has this moment with the, uh, who is it that's talking to him? Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees. So now he's apparently uh, back in his, uh, he went back to Magadan, so that's on the other side. It's back on the other side of the sea. And now the Pharisees come to him and they want a sign. And Jesus just got done with a little special field trip with his disciples over on the other side of the sea on the Decapolis. And Jesus is like, you want a sign, but no sign will be given to you the sign of Jonah. But now we have to go back in our minds to a few podcasts ago. You'll remember we talked about the sign of Jonah all the way back. It it appears to me, Matthew is very strategic in how he references this. He doesn't do the whole three days and three nights in the earth, which is what we wrestled with earlier. There's no reference here to the resurrection. Jesus's point here cannot be the resurrection. That's not the sign of Jonah. Here, the reference seems to be a clear reference to the Gentiles, which is what we suggested episodes ago was Jesus' original point about the sign of Jonah. You want another sign? And maybe this is the second time the Pharisees have asked for a sign. Jesus is like, you still want a sign? I'm telling you, the Gentiles get this. I just got back from the other side of the lake. The Gentiles are getting this. Go ahead and keep reading. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Okay, so they get back in the boat and Jesus tells them, does he tell them here in this passage, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Brent? Uh, Yeah. Okay, so, and and the question here is, what is the yeast of the, first of all, yeast we've already talked about symbolizes what? Uh, Yeast symbolizes, is it teaching? Not quite. It would make sense in this reference, but like we we said that yeast always symbolized something very negative in oh, sin. Hebrew thought and sin. So Jesus says, beware of the yeast, or I believe what he's saying is beware of the sin of the Pharisees. Now, what have we been teaching all the way up to this point, Brent, is the sin of the Pharisees? What is Matthew's agenda? The moms are there. They're not taking care of the outcast. They don't take care of the outcast. Jesus gets in a, so Jesus has just went over to the other side of the lake, fed 4,000 people made a point to his disciples, I'm enough for Jews and for Gentiles, gets back in the boat, goes over to the other side of the lake. The Pharisees say, I want a sign. Jesus then, does it say he gets back in the boat again? Well, I guess, so it says Jesus left them and went away. And then the next verse says, when they went across the lake. Okay. So Jesus says to them, beware of the, so as Matthew records this narrative, his response is, I have Beware of their beware of their teachings. Beware of their sin, because they are going to teach you to not do the thing that I'm trying to impress on you, which is going to the Decapolis, which is finding the Gentiles, which is feeding of the four thousand. Beware of their yeast. And it says the disciples are like, "Oh crap, lunch. We forgot lunch. We forgot bread." Go ahead and pick up where you left off. I'm actually a little unclear here. Did they go back across the lake after he had the conversation? 
Matthew does change this. We're about ready to jump over to Mark here in just a moment. And I think Mark does this chronologically much, much better. But Matthew tells us in such a way it's a little it's a little mushy. It's a little um, – and there's a bunch of argument about how to harmonize this section of the Gospels and where to put it. But yes, Matthew's trying to put things, I think, in a particular order here with the Pharisees and the encounter and the yeast and all of that stuff. Okay. Uh, backing up just a little bit. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. All right. So for any of us being like, man, I'm struggling with the whole numerology thing. Brothers and sisters, there you go. Jesus just... (laughs) let his disciples have it by saying, do you really not get this? Do you not understand? This was about the numbers. And he reiterates five loaves, two fish for 5,000 people, 12 baskets, seven loaves, seven baskets. Like he, he even points out the numbers. This is rabbi going, guys, do you really not get this? Were you not paying attention to the numbers that were going on in that story? Now, so let's let's just at this point let's just. Go I did ahead. have to say go though, ahead. Jesus Jesus does uh, relate yeast to teaching here, so I feel a little bit vindicated from earlier. <laughs> Absolutely, but so, but sinful teaching. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I, I want to pause for just a moment here in the middle of this podcast and just review where we've been in this little string of stories. Okay, so let's go all the way back and pick up in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Chapters 5 through 7, Jesus, uh, after the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7, Jesus is going to have some encounters with people who land outside the lines. They're outside of bounds. They are mumsers. And is amazed by their faith. If you remember the Roman centurion. No, nobody. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel, Jesus said. In order to make his point, it appears that Jesus travels to Decapolis and heals the demoniac, the most unclean of the unclean. Jesus then comes back to the triangle and teaches the people of God about this kingdom he is pronouncing. Again, the agenda of the mumser. But then Jesus attempts to get away to some solitude, but is followed by the crowds. So Jesus seizes the opportunity and feeds 5,000 in order to teach the disciples about his mission. The next story is Peter walking on water, which, by the way, could be seen as an affirmation that the disciples have what it takes to do what Jesus is telling them to do. Because in the feeding of the 5,000, it appears that a major part of that teaching is Jesus saying, I'm going to take the law and I'm going to give it to you. Jesus doesn't wander around and hand out bread and fish. Jesus says, I'm going to take the law and give it to you, disciples, and you disciples play a critical role in this mission of God and the bringing of kingdom. I think that's an amazing point, actually. Yeah. I feel like most of the time you read that, it's like, oh, well, the disciples are just the lackeys. Right. But that's not that's not what Jesus is doing with it. Yes. And if that is as big of a point as you and I might be suggesting here, the walking on water makes sense as the next story. Because it's like Jesus saying, guys, you can do this. You can bring kingdom. You can bring kingdom. So then after that, Jesus finally does get away to Phoenicia. Gets a little R&R. And while there, Jesus realizes that his mission is even bigger than he originally thought. It's not just for the lost sheep of Israel. It's actually for the outsiders. I don't know how much R&R was there. I know. The disciples kind of made it sound like the woman was pestering them. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. 
Let's hope he got some little. Hey, can you make her go away? Yeah. <laughs> Please. Let's hope that outside that encounter, he got some rest, right? So Jesus immediately puts this newfound lesson that I think he's learned himself. He now puts that, that lesson to action by traveling back to Decapolis and feeding not 5,000, but 4,000. And finally, Jesus tells the disciples to beware of this sinful teaching of the religious leadership that will tell them that they shouldn't do this. You shouldn't go to Decapolis. You shouldn't let them come in. You shouldn't feed 4,000 people. You shouldn't care about the mumser. The mission of Jesus fits perfectly with Matthew's larger agenda of the outsider. Now, if we want to put the cherry on top, I think we need to go to Mark. Mark chapter 8, and we need to add to this story that we're looking at in Matthew, a story that Matthew doesn't include because I think it just nails it. So beautiful. So go ahead and read. Uh, what, what's, uh, what's the address here from Mark that you got? Chapter 8, verse 22, starting. Uh, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Uh oh, Brent. Apparently, Jesus didn't get enough of his little mini sabbatical. You're right, because he can't even complete his miracles. He's having a hard time getting the whole miracle mojo going. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> or is he? Is there something going on here that Jesus is doing on purpose when he heals but doesn't heal this blind man? And notice, by the way, he gets into Bethsaida. He grabs a blind man and does what? Takes him outside of the village. Takes him outside. Because this guy is a prop. Like, and I know that sounds cold and people hate it when I do this teaching, but you have to understand that miracles that Jesus does, like, are not for, it's not to prove that he's anybody because he just grabbed this guy and took him outside the village privately, just with him and his disciples, because this guy is a prop. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about him, but that's not why Jesus has pulled the boat over because he's literally in this boat in Mark. It's almost like he says, like an angry parent, pull the boat over. Like, you guys are arguing about lunch. You're kidding me. So he pulls the boat over to Bethsaida, goes and finds a random blind beggar, pulls him outside of town, has a teaching lesson. In typical rabbinic fashion, Jesus has turned this scenario into a teaching prop. If you remember, when Jesus tells the disciples to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the text tells us they are confused and begins discussing the food supply or lack thereof. And Jesus's response seems to be, you've got to be kidding me. After all of that, after the 5,000 and the woman with her daughter in Syrophoenicia and the 4,000 in Decapolis, you think I'm talking about food? Go back, actually, Brent, and read. We've already read it in Matthew, but listen to how Mark records Jesus's conversation in the boat. Go back up. Tell us what verses you're going to read here. Uh, starting in verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And now notice that verse is not in Matthew. That verse is... Matthew did not include the statement, do you have eyes, but you cannot see, but ears, and you cannot hear? Go ahead and finish. 
And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. I love that Mark has them, like, they have to actually answer the question. Matthew just has Jesus pointing it out. But Mark has them, like, Jesus is like, how many baskets? Because he wants them to answer. How many baskets? Okay, keep going. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? So even more clearly stated in Mark, in Mark's record, Jesus is like, do you not get this? How many basketfuls did you pick up? And at this point, all of a sudden in Mark, Jesus says, pull the boat over. He grabs a blind man, takes him outside of town, heals him so that he can see, but he really can't see. Because what was the line that he said to his disciples in the boat, Brent? Do you have eyes but fail to see? I think Jesus half heals this guy and stares at his disciples in the eyeballs and goes, you've got to be kidding me. And I think they all hang their head and they go, ugh, we get it now. Sorry, Rabbi. And then Jesus completes the healing because it would be really lame to make the guy blind again and send him back in the town. So he completes the healing and then sends him on his way, right? Jesus asks them if they have eyes, but they cannot see. The rabbi promptly demands they pull the boat over, stomps into Bethsaida, grabs a blind man, pulls him outside of town, heals him, kind of, quote unquote, in a way that he has eyes and he cannot see. I imagine Jesus putting his hands on his hips, looking around at the disciples who begin to hang their heads. He finishes the healing of the man and sends them on his way. This is a perfect example of Jesus' miracles being a teaching tool and not about the content of the miracle itself. This blind man is nothing more than a prop for Jesus's teaching, but Jesus's point still stands out to his disciples. I am here to reach the whole world. This kingdom business is about everybody. All the people you thought were out are more in than you ever realized. Watch out for the religious. They aren't going to like this message much. And this lesson is going to mean so much to Jesus that he's about to lead his disciples on a hike that will make his trip to the Decapolis look like a ride on a carousel. And that is a little tidbit of where we're headed next. Oh, there's so much left to cover. So much. It's very exciting. Yes. I got to say that episode uh, didn't last as long as I expected it to. We covered a lot of ground. We did. Covered a lot of ground. Just kept on moving. All right. The text do the work. Yep. Uh, let's see. Maybe a good time to say jump on the Baymont Discipleship Facebook page. Indeed. Uh, always a good place to connect. Marty's always posting stuff on there. Um, I think you might uh, see, by the way, you've probably been seen, but uh, I think you'll probably see some uh, promotional material I'm going to be putting out to get people to subscribe to a new publication we're going to be putting together. I don't know. Let's see. I think I. I don't know. When we're recording this, we're a little bit ahead of the ballgame. So I haven't really picked a name, but I'm thinking like the Baymom Monthly. Okay. If I do that, I have to send it out monthly. Yeah. So I don't know if I... Baymom News, that's just not... That doesn't have a ring to it. Might have to workshop that a little bit. We might have to. But anyway, you're going you're gonna to see an opportunity to, to subscribe to a newsletter subscription. And anybody that loves Bema, just subscribe to that because we want to start communicating things to you, things that are happening. I'd like to highlight cool news that I'm getting from groups around the country. We have a ton of groups. Like, have you seen the map lately, Mr. Brent Billings? Uh, I, I enjoy the map very much. Yes. Brent is the one that puts it together. That was a tongue-in-cheek reference. But I'm hoping all you listeners have seen the map on the website. Man, we got a ton of groups going on out there and a whole lot of groups that aren't even on the map, which is cool. Like, do your thing. I uh, I mentioned Bema Cusco to my yeah. wife, and yeah, yeah. Uh, she she looked up Cusco, Peru. Yes, and she's like, um, "We should move there." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. I like that. To all of our listeners down there in Peru, it's probably unlikely, but you know, they would love the company. Keep an eye out. I know they would. 
the Andersons. No, good to, good to have them on board. Um, anyway, I'd love to send news like that out and about, and I'd love to talk about things that we have coming up. I get emails every week about four or five about Israel trips that are coming up in 2020. Um, and uh, I'd love to be able to send out information about that and where to get that. I'd love to talk about weekend events and seminars and places that I'm speaking. And I would just love to communicate more because that's fun. And there's lots of people out there listening to this thing. A lot more than we ever thought. I think we would see it's becoming a thing. So let's make it more of a organized thing. So if you see those sign up for the Baymont newsletter, get your name on the subscription list. If you get an invitation to subscribe, say yes. That's all I got for you, Brent. All right, we'll leave it at that. Thanks for joining us on the Bama Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.